Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Lotus Out of Serial Killers here on the Boom Bastic Media Network. I'm your host, Keith Revere. I'm an author and collector of true crime art and memorabilia. Uh, I am very excited. Um, now, even though I do the podcast once a week, you know, every Thursday night I upload a, a new podcast, I get phone calls literally all throughout the day. Um, two or three times a week, uh, the gentleman who we're going to be speaking to tonight uh, gives me a call, and that is Bruce Davis, formerly of the Manson family. Um, so many great conversations that we have, and, and a lot of it are really for the podcast. You know, there's some personal things, and um, I have known Bruce for six years, seven years, something like that. Uh, same with Charles Tex Watson. Um, I haven't talked to him uh, in a while. I don't think I talked to, to Tex this whole year. Um, but over the years, um, they have been such an encouragement to me um, through a divorce, uh, through ups and downs uh, of many areas of life. Um, it, it's funny that people think I'm crazy, but um, through these guys, through David Berkowitz, Dana Gray, they have been so supportive, uh, more encouraging than even the friends I have out here. Now, I'm kind of an introvert. Uh, those of you who know me, you know, I, I'm you know, I'm not a people person, so to speak. I'm not an extrovert. I'm always, you know, I'm not surrounded by people all the time. My happy place is, is home or walking alone on the beach or a boardwalk. You know, if you see me out, you know, I'll make everybody laugh and have a good time. But for the most part, you know, I'd rather just be alone uh, unless I'm, you know, in a serious relationship or something. Uh, so some of these men and women, these serial killers, Manson family members, have been such an encouragement to me uh, in more ways than I can even describe, as crazy as that sounds. Um, I think a lot of these men and women, especially the serial killers, um, they haven't really had anybody to talk to. Um, now maybe they'll get like fan mail and people who just want something from them, but seriously, but I mean, but someone who seriously wants to get to know them and become friends with them. Um, you might think I'm a complete lunatic for that and maybe I am. Um, but I have formed some pretty deep friendships and, uh, especially with Bruce, um, he has been very encouragement. If you read my book, Serial Colors in Heaven and Victims in Hell, uh, it's a question mark on the end of that, by the way, not a statement. Um, you can read how encouraging it was to me in the dating world. And people just get a kick out of that, that a Manson member is, is, is giving you dating advice. I'm like, yeah, he's just a friend. You know, so a friend of, that's most of what we talk about is this, you know, encouraging him and he's encouraging me. Um, and that's about the gist of it. Now, for the podcast, of course, people want to hear about Manson, Charlie Manson. What was it like? What was it like? So we're going to get into a little bit of that, of course. Um, uh, but he's he's a real good guy. And uh, uh, the governor paid a visit to him in San Quentin um, a few weeks ago, maybe about a month ago now. Um, and he got to talk to him. And, you know, he understood the political pressure of him to make sure he denies the, you know, the Manson family members parole. But they had a great chat, a face-to-face chat. I mean, he, the governor was actually at the facility, a face-to-face chat. I think it was with his lawyer, I believe. Uh, and they had a good a fist pump, I think. I think it wasn't a handshake. It was like a fist pump. Um, and uh, they said, hey, you know, give me your information. I, I want to really look it over. So he's actually encouraged for his next parole. Um, he, you know, he doesn't think, he said, the odds are certainly against him that any of those guys are going to get out, and gals for that matter. Um, but at least this time he's a little encouraged. There's a glimmer of hope. And if you know anything about people who either on life without parole, trying to get commuted, um, or those, you know, don't think they're going to get parole, keeps getting rejected. A glimmer of hope is is enough to make you get by every day. And uh, so he has a, a, a decent-sized glimmer of hope. Um, he's content knowing he might not ever get out, but that glimmer of light was a glimmer of hope that shedding that little bit of light was very encouraging to him. 
Um, so anyway, why don't we hop right to it? Um, and a first question I think that everybody wanted to know uh, for you, Mr. Bruce Davis, um, what exactly is or was Helter Skelter? I mean, we hear so many different things about it. We hear race words, we a Beatles song we know, and uh, maybe it meant different things to different people. So we'll ask you directly, what did it mean either to Charlie or to you? Uh, what was Helter Skelter? Okay. Uh, that was a song title in the White Album of the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, now uh, McCartney said that he was trying to describe the fall of Russia or some, I mean, it was, it was crazy. And uh, that's what that's what he was. But uh, when you listen to the words of the song, how, how it's coming down fast, right? Uh, uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, there's, there's a couple of phrases that, that Charlie, uh, figured out in his own way, of course, that it meant that there was going to be great civil unrest, right? And, a and a revolution mm. and, uh, in, in this country and the, and the name of it, the name of the revolution is Helter Skelter, right? And so that that's why they wrote Helter Skelter is coming down fast. And so that would be like you know, the Black Panthers holding their holding their fists up power to the people and uh and uh relief by every means necessary. You know, so so it was kind of a it wasn't really a, a super revolutionary time on the physical level. But uh, people were thinking about it a lot, and a lot of people wished for it. Nobody really had what it took to really make it happen, mm-hmm. th- thankfully. But uh, th- that's that's what the Helter Skelter was about. Okay. And and of course, it, of course, it, it just means everything's in chaos. Uh, that's that's yeah. what the you know the expression means when you look it up in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. Was there any truth to? Where this thing against you know African American people, where you know he wanted to kind of start like a race war, is that something different, or is that kind of tied into, or is that just something like the media kind of made up? Well, no, that was that was part of the, that was part of the fantasy that uh, that there was so much black oppression that there had been the riots in Chicago and Newark and the Watch riots and uh, the general. Uh, the general unrest, right, between uh, of black people in the United States, and based on based on you know real facts, and so so Charlie just took that and and what he did was sort of he really just magnified it. You know what I mean? Gotcha. He, he sure. just took those things and and just just added a few zeros to it. Yeah. <laughs> and came up with yeah. the, and came up with this. With this thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was, as far as I could tell, sure. I, and I, he didn't. I don't think he actually believed in that. Yes. But uh, <laughs> that's that's beside the point because the girls believed in it. Yeah. Uh, Watson believed in it enough. Mm-hmm. 
And when, so, you, when did you start so noticing, I, like when you told me before that, you know, initially, the you know, first time you saw Charlie, he was in an antique bathtub, you know, getting high, you know, a bunch of girls bathed him and stuff. You're like, hey, I'm down with that. You know, that where it started out like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know, like just have a good time. When did you first realize that it was getting a little deeper than that? You know, like Charlie maybe had, you know, arterial, arterial motives to be like, well, it's, this is not exactly what I signed up for. <laughs> when did you start noticing like the maybe a little shift that, you know, before we got, you know, to the murders and dangerous things, when did you start noticing a shift um, to where, well, it's, this isn't what I signed up for <laughs> initially. I got to get out of here. Yeah. Well, when I got back, when I came back from Europe and uh, I got with, Charlie met me at LAX and uh, I had a warning in my gut right there. Just keep on going, man. Just tell him I'm just here for a layover. But I didn't. I didn't pay any attention to that. So, but I didn't know, I didn't know why uh, the warning came. But then after we got back and then I noticed that the mantra had changed, right? And uh, and now it was it was a whole new thing. I talked about the the, the racial unrest and uh, the the a big revolution coming and all that, mm. which uh, at the time I didn't mind because at the at the moment I thought, well, I'm not involved in it, so. So what? Doesn't matter to me. Now that was my attitude. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when they talked about doing all these things, I said, "Well, I'm I was going to get out of doing that." You know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I, of course I didn't, you know. But I I had this, you know, this crazy uh, rationalization about I'd be I'd be somehow insulated from it all. Yeah. Uh, that's part of being a dope fiend. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. You said you were in Europe. What were you? I was. Uh, what were you doing in Europe? Just traveling around. Oh, nice. Where'd you go? Would you? Uh, Would you end up seeing over there? We went to Bilbao, uh, uh, in, in Spain, then went down to went down to Portugal, and down to the south of Portugal, and then over to the south of Spain, and then over to Morocco. And then back, then I went to London. That's wow. where I got introduced to the Scientologist. It's all on the track. I, I got. By, I was in London. I stepped off the underground in Earl's Court. That's that's a place in London where a lot of the Australians and New Zealanders lived. It was just a neighborhood, right? And uh, I didn't know that at the time. It just happened to be so. But I stepped off, and a, and a couple of young ladies said, "Hey, you want to? Can we invite you to a, a lecture?" And I looked at them, and I thought, "I'll, I'll go to anything with you guys." <laughs> so, but anyway, it was a, it was an introduction to Scientology, and and they were super friendly, and uh, uh, we ended up going down to East Grinstead. Now it's about thirty miles south of London, and they had. To where the, the worldwide headquarters of Scientology is a place called St. Hill. It's in East Grinstead. And uh, so I got down there. There was a big house full of all the Scientology people. And they're all kind of students or teachers or something, right? And they're all, we all we just had a great time. I uh, they were super friendly. 
At least nice. a few of the girls I knew were. Uh-huh. And so I liked it for that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, sure. so, you know, I, but, you know, once I started seeing the, uh, the details of Ron Hubbard's plan to clear the planet, <laughs> man. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I never really thought. Well, I was open. I was open to it. I was open to it being something until I saw it wasn't, you know. Sure. And um, mm-hmm. so so I stayed there from, uh, let's see, about November, December, January, February, maybe in March. I think I came back to, uh, I came back to the States in March. And, uh, but the Scientology thing was just, it's Easter. It's Easter self enlightenment, do it yourself salvation. Uh, become a, a, tra- a you know a, a transformed being uh, back uh, among all your many past lives, according to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of like uh, self empowerment. That's what it's about. Yeah, I think there was a quote. And, uh, he was quoted saying before he started all that, you know, as being a, an author. He's like, why should I write books anymore for making a penny a word when I can start a religion and make a million dollars? And then soon after, well, that's know, a, here comes Scientology, and that's where the rich people and all the rich actors are part of it, and they certainly give a lot of money <laughs> to that religion for sure. Oh, yeah, I, I'm telling you. See, you know, in, in things like that, there's this, this is the same reason why uh, when many people, when they really want something, instead of going to the priest, they go to the shaman. They go to the witch doctor because they they don't know exactly what they're getting into. But but this guy gives you quick results. So yeah. mm-hmm. that's what we. So the thing about the dark side is, oh, he'll give you some quick, very positive, very empowering, happy results right now. Yeah. And uh, of course, that's just the bait to to get you in a little further, you know. But yeah. uh, sure, that's what. That's that's what happens, and, and when and and I think I think the more you know the the richer a person gets, uh, in, in kind of a general way, and this is not everybody, but I think people the more wealthy you are with money, the more the more entitled you become, and mm-hmm. and you don't yeah. think that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you say if you if you told a person who's a millionaire, you just feel entitled to everything. He'd say no, I, you know, he doesn't feel it. Uh, uh, where he could talk about it, but it's a, it's an attitude that you know that he has because money will get you things that nothing else will, yeah. and so we understand yeah. it. Makes sense, especially you can see in our so our, when, our culture and society wants everything now results, whether it be religious results or personal results. You can see how the that would be the appeal. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody wants what they want. Everybody yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And and we're willing to go right up to the edge of the boundaries for it and sometimes push the boundaries. A hundred percent true. Uh, some people some people just have more leverage and they can push the boundaries further. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh That's definitely true. So that's a hundred percent true. Yeah, and, sure. Because that's what I mean. We're all looking for leverage to to expand our to expand our borders, right? Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. And we we want the leverage from God. 
Charlie Charlie had mentioned the first time I ever heard the word Scientology was from Charlie. Oh, really? Before I went. Before, oh, wow. Before I went to, uh, to your, and, and he didn't get into it. He didn't, you know, uh, he, he probably he probably didn't really know much about it on the, you know, on the technical side, how to talk about it. But mm-hmm. he, he got introduced to him, to him in prison as a, as a way of, you know, uh, what we call it, self-service salvation. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what that's what it's about, and uh, but uh, you know it, he really didn't didn't know much about it. Neither did I. And uh, but when I got over there, I put that together, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's uh, all those all those uh, all those salvation schemes are quite similar. Yeah. You know, yeah, most of them are all on either based on your own good efforts, your own good works. Like if your good outweighs the bad, you know, you're going to get to some place called heaven and uh, a lot of self-serving things for that too. But that's what most of it is. You know, yeah, the good outweighs absolutely. the bad. And that's why Christianity sure. doesn't make sense to a lot of people. You know, the, Well, you know, uh, Christianity doesn't make sense because it, it's, it, it, does, it, it doesn't have anything to do with your own goodness. Exactly. Right. It doesn't incorporate your great your great person or your great accomplishments or you don't get to add your skill and uh, and all that all your great abilities too. It's just so. I mean, I mean, when you think about it, uh, who would be interested in anything that they couldn't have a part of? Yeah, uh-huh. people don't like to be you told know, so, that when they when the first thing in scripture you read. Uh, looking at the gospel itself, so to speak, when they don't like to hear that we are all evil. Like, what do you mean I'm evil? I haven't done anything wrong, <laughs> anything too bad. Yeah. That's why it's a hard time. Like, yeah. I, I don't need. What do I need salvation for? I'm married. I got kids. I got a family. I give money yeah. to the poor. That's right. Like, no, well, you're technically right. you and Charlie right. are going to the same place. You and Charlie, but you know, <laughs> well, I'm not as bad as him. It doesn't work like that. You know, that's not what it's about. Well. And, and until you come to a place where there's some kind of boy, wow, that's loud. Uh, you know, until a person comes to a place where there's enough pain, fear, or fear of pain, then he's not going to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I, b- I believe that when a person becomes aware of himself, of what he's done, and and aware that there's a you know his sense of uh, his sense of uh, obligation to God, and it's probably not in those words, but mm-hmm. you know when that happens, then a person starts to think about it. Yeah, and uh, that's when the Holy Spirit's conviction is. And uh, but until that happens, I know of hardly any cases where a person woke up on Mars and. Oh, let's see what I do today. Oh, I think I'll become a Christian. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it happens like that. What's the amazing no, thing I is really is uh, you know, well, I can do this too. I mentioned a, a a few names to you from you know some of the parts, you know, some people from the quote unquote Manson family, and it's amazing as a lot of them are Christians now. Um, yeah. I'll mention a few names, and you, let me know what the kind of like the first thing you think of when you hear these names, whether from the past, present, or just the first couple things that come to mind. Uh, you mentioned it before, but what do you think of when you when you, as soon as you hear the name, you know, Charles Watson or Tex Watson? 
Well, I've worked. Uh, I, well, of course, I knew. I knew. Uh, I knew Charlie before we got into all this mess, and um, I. Uh, and then, then at, when he came, by the time I met him again, I was in the CMC, and he'd already become a Christian. And so we were both in the ministry together. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's what that's the first picture I get of Charlie. Mm. Uh, watching. Sure. You know, how about let's see a couple of names. Of, uh, how about uh, Susan Atkins? Who? Uh, Susan Atkins. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we had a uh, we had a relationship through mail. After after uh, we we were we were uh, we were co-defendants mm-hmm. in, in a case, and so uh, in, in California, co-defendants have legal correspondence rights even between prisons. Oh, okay. So, um, okay. So we started writing. And one thing led to another, and I started telling her about the Lord. And uh, she didn't want to hear it at first because, well, she's like anybody else, you know. She's, who needs that, right? And, but one thing, but the, the Lord was dealing with her, and, and a lot of a lot of things I could, a lot of things were happening to her. And uh, so, uh, over a period of I don't know, a few months, uh, and other people too. A lot of other people were talking to Susan. And uh, did you ever read her book? No, no, it's I haven't. Pretty I, interesting. No, that. I haven't. Uh. Uh-uh. It's called will you, uh, it's called Child of Satan, Child of God. Oh wow! And uh, there's there's a long. She gives a long story about our relate our writing back and forth. Right. And it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, anyway, in the end, uh, she came. To, she she came to the Lord uh, as a result of some. Uh, one of her high school counselors got in touch with her, and and a lady uh, can't remember her name right now, but there was a lady just started writing, been writing to her. A lot of people wrote to her. Everybody wanted to save those Manson people, you yeah. know. <laughs> and thank God they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but uh, so but but she she was the Lord was dealing with her, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, I. Uh, I wrote her. I wrote her a list of. I dare you to answer these questions. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 because I was really, I was just frustrated because she wouldn't come to my point of view, and I felt so entitled that that anybody with good sense should think the way I did, right? Yeah, of course. And because uh, <laughs> it only took me about three months after I after Jesus saved me. Three or four months later, I already knew everything about everything. <laughs> I mean, that's just the kind yep. of person I was. Sure. And people that didn't agree, well, I just said, well, the poor things, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I was writing to Susan, and and it, so finally I, I just said, well, well, she told me, she says, well, I'm a seeker of truth. And I said, oh, yeah, really? So we talked, and, but she said, I don't want to hear about this Christian stuff. And... Uh, she had a lot of bad. She had some bad experiences with so-called Christians, so she didn't want to hear. It. But I, but the Lord was dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And finally, as my last my last thing was, I wrote her a list. I said, "Do you believe God created the world? Well, do you believe that Adam fell? Well, do you believe that there was a flood? And do you believe this? Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus Christ came to the world? Do you believe He died? 
Do you believe he died for you? Do you want him as your Lord? And and so at the end, I said, brother, well, I started this list with this. I said, if you answer no to any question, you can just stop the process right there. <laughs> but So I got it down to the end, right? Yeah. Well, so I sent her that. But before she got that, she she had already the Lord had really come to her in a big way, and and she 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 was she was there, wow. and then she got this list. I, I suppose she probably just laughed at it. Yeah. It, it was kind of stupid. Yeah, it's funny. But anyway, by the time I heard back, you know she she was knowing the Lord. So, oh, that's great. And then, uh, yeah, and uh, then the Lord got it to me to stop writing, man. Mm. Uh, just. You guys have probably gone as far as you you need to go right here. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. so I wrote her and told her about it, and and she it took her a while before she uh, but she finally wrote back and said, "Yeah, I hear you." So and she okay. she did along good. How about uh? And uh, the book okay. her her side of the, her side of the relationship is 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 just a whole different attitude than mine, right? But uh, it was. It's kind of, uh, well, it's kind of sort of amusing in a crazy way. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. How about, uh, how about Leslie, Leslie Van Houten? I never knew Leslie. Oh, didn't? Okay. I, I, I saw her, mm-hmm. you know, when she was on the rest. Hey, but, but I tell you what, she tagged me good in a, in a book. I don't know if this was in Helder Skelter or in, or in, I think it was. And and they were talking about, and somebody asked her about me, and she said, that guy was the biggest blowhard. He wasn't going to do nothing, man. Big no. old arrogant fool. <laughs> oh, no. She, she had me down, boy. <laughs> That's funny. Here's a, yeah. well, I'll, so. here's a couple names. You, I mean, what names stick out to you or anything you want to talk about? Uh, I got Patricia Krenwinkel, Bobby Beausoleil, yeah. Mary Bruner, Clem, uh, Squeaky, Lynette Fromm. Uh, Sandy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see, uh, Ruth Ann Morehouse or Catherine Chair, Nancy Pittman. Uh, any of those names stick out or anything uh, comes to mind when you hear some of those names? Well, uh, Steve Grogan and I were uh, co-descendants mm-hmm. in the uh, in the Shake case. Sure. Uh, Mary Brunner was a co Well, No, she was a co-descendant in the... Uh, in the Henman case, she was involved, but she she was offered a good. She had just had her her baby, mm-hmm. uh, probably a, maybe a few months before this happened, and um, she was offered a deal by the by the prosecution if she'd tell the story. And every I I would have held my hand up for that. Everybody else said, "Go ahead, Mary." Because she needed to be out there with her son, sure, and so she did. So, yeah, and so she 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 went off and and led a quasi normal life, I guess, back in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's still alive. I've talked to her son. Oh, good. And uh, yeah, and uh, so she evident. I I haven't talked to her. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I I would I wish she would. Uh, uh, she would write about something that, you know, that, to go in my book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, what her experience was, what she thought, anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Because all the, I'd like to have something from everybody. 
just just some kind of as much as they want to say, you know. Oh, of course. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And so I'm trying to get the message to Catherine Sher and uh, even Bobby Beausoleil. Mm-hmm. And uh, like he's in Vacaville. He's he's still in prison. Mm-hmm. Catherine Sher, she's been out. Uh, she did she did a little bit of time for some unrelated. Mm-hmm. Well, almost. Yeah, <laughs> and, but she's been out a long time. She's her her kids are through college now, and she's an old granny. She's an old grandma now. Uh, Somewhere in Texas, I think. Yeah, Squeaky's done a few interviews but, uh, from uh, a few interviews now. I yeah. think she's married, and I think it was California. I think she's at now, and she's like I think the only one who still is in love with Charlie. I mean, she's flats out admit it. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm still in love with Charlie. Yeah. You know, I admit it. Yeah, yeah. She was living up east for a long time. Uh, she wrote a book. I haven't read it. But the people that read it said, well, she's turned into a pretty good writer. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, she was always, she was always the, the number one girl for Charlie. And, uh, mm-hmm. in other words, she, she was a, she was an executive. Yes. <laughs> I mean, she, you know, she, she, you know, what she figured out and, and she 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 kind of had an idea of what Charlie wanted, and he agreed, and this that. I I never was well, you know. On there, we never really had relationships with each other. Nobody yeah. really never knew anybody else completely sure. very much, because mm-hmm. it was all about you know drugs and yeah. and and this and this thing of of Charlie wanting to make him mm-hmm. happy. Oh, it's a lot of craziness. Yeah. Okay. I guess I guess you can't imagine them. Yeah. Pretty pretty far out. Yeah. Hey, yeah, man. Mm-hmm. It's always always fascinating to hear some of yeah, those stories yeah. for sure. So uh, you'll get your podcast together, I guess, to see yourself, and it'll be good. Hey, I got your letter last night. Oh, good, good. that. Good. With a quote, with a quote from Pugliosi. Good. And, uh, and the confirmation thing. And, and I sent you uh, the uh, the piece on the, the, the Manchurian candidate. Uh, part. Nice. About a couple of things. It was just a, a thing. That, it was old Wikipedia, so you could probably see it yourself. Uh, but anyway, that's coming. And, and the piece when Charlie came to Jesus. Cool. And, uh, yeah, I saw the yeah, one. I yeah, I read the one. The one thing you sent me. Um, it's fascinating. You know, it really makes you think. The, you know, what happened at the very end? The, you know. <laughs> Oh, oh! I already gave you one of those. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a, I think it was a photocopy of, uh, you know, about kind of like a, a, I want to say a deathbed salvation, but, uh, but yeah, but it's. Um, oh, okay. I, I, when we talked yesterday, I, I, I got the, I got the idea that you didn't hadn't seen that. Oh, anyway, yeah. you got another one coming. So you, could, oh, no, you can make some paper air. That. You can always make a paper airplane out of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing the thought of it, you know, and obviously it's not like he hasn't heard the gospel, you know, even even back oh, then, no. even back when you know, when you were running with him, uh, obviously he pulled things out of Revelation, you know, a little, a little wonky, but he had a Bible, so I'm sure he read through it, you know, so he's heard the good news. Well, I'm, sure. not, I'm not sure of that. I, I don't know. I don't know, but uh, the, only, the only thing he ever talked about was the nice chapter of Revelation. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. I'm, I don't I don't know what he might have read otherwise, uh, 
I never saw much influence in his life about it, but he could have. Yeah. yeah, you never know. Right. Mm-hmm. We certainly... But his, uh, his, his grandmother, you know, his, his grandmother dedicated him to the Lord. So that that probably meant more to God than it meant to him. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But at least he certainly heard it at the end, anyway, from numerous people. He said from him rejecting it a few times, so he's heard it, so uh, it was in there. Yeah. You know, what happened at the end, you never yeah. know, but... Yes, we'll find out one day. Like I said, yeah, the Bible says we're going to be surprised who we see up in heaven. You know, there's going to be some people like, oh, you made it. You know, <laughs> you never know. Yeah, well, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got this big piece about Fort Riley, Kansas. <laughs> I, I asked the research people to look it up. My dad was there in about 1930 or somewhere in the 30s. He was just a young guy. And uh, but they sent me this big. Oh, when they send you this stuff on these on these wonderful subjects, it's, it's a ton of things. But uh, Custer Custer commanded a, a brigade out of that out of that uh, fort. Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, and it's the center. They said the the army the army surveyors believed that the place where they built it was this was the geographical center of the lower forty eight states. Mm. And uh, that'd be kind of sort of interesting. Wow. That's definitely cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for sure. Oh, I'm sorry, go what? No, about the computer uh, for the writing. Now, uh, I, we're gonna, I, th- I think it's going to come through. Uh, I don't know. But you, you just It's hard to predict. I'm just believing the Lord's going to give me something so I... So I can get all because I'm getting stuff. I need to get it all together. I mean, so sure. I can access it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. So that, that's coming along. I'm good. I, 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 you know, I thought of something else. There was two guys in CMC, I, and I, I just, I was just laying in bed last night, and it came to my mind. These two guys, and I knew them. We we went, to, we were in classes together, and both of them came to me at different times and said. I've got a case up in Northern California that they don't know who it was. It's never I was never busted for it, but I did. One of them was a robbery, I think, and one of them was a murder. Hmm. But one of them was in Iowa. Wow. And and these two guys, they came to me and said, what should I do? <laughs> well, you know, I just said, hey, you got to make a decision, man. You already know what you do because when, when, when you came to ask what you should do, you know what you need to do. And they both turn themselves in. Oh, wow. And one of them's still in Iowa. Yeah, man. Mm. Uh, so but that was, those are kind of crazy stuff. Oh, for sure. Stuff, but, oh, for sure. Yeah. Do you guys still get asked, or you do, you know, from back in that time? I'm sure there's, you know, thousands of unsolved murders. What? Do you guys, have you ever been oh, yeah. asked, like I'm sure, you know, from most of the quote-unquote family members, cause there's so many unsolved murders and things like that back in the day. Do people still poke around because, hey, I know the, the Manson family was around this area. Have you ever heard of so-and-so or this name or that name? Is there, you know, getting those random yeah, uh, the you, know, you know what? There were, there were these people that, that were hooked up with Sharon Tate's family or after it all happened, and, and they they said, oh, yeah, we think Davis uh, killed. They named off a couple. Of, I'd never heard of them. I didn't know anything about it. And hey, one one of her Toby's accused me of being the Zodiac killer. 
Oh. <laughs> made a big deal out of it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Until they found out. I, I, I was in the joint while this was going on with that guy. Oh, wow. And uh, it was just, I mean, you know, they're trying to, you know, put, you know, like they say, throw some mud against the wall and see what sticks. Exactly. But, exactly. Uh, they, had me, they had me accused of, uh, of killing a guy in England who was <laughs> Sandy Good's boyfriend. Wow. Got a cue. Wow. Uh, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 oh, they made a big thing out of it. Finally, finally, I think the FBI got into it so- somehow. And the home office of, of England said, no, he wasn't even here during that time. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'd been there and gone or had, hadn't got there yet, one or the other. Yeah. And they finally laid off on that. But it's always something, you know, oh, we mm-hmm. think he did this and did that. And, yeah. Uh, I've only been I've only been I've only been falsely accused about two things <laughs> in life, <laughs> and one was when I was in the first grade. <laughs> they thought I killed this this farmer. Well, they didn't accuse me directly, but they thought they thought I killed a, killed a couple of ducks. Now, uh, can you imagine a six year old kid oh, no. with a knife chasing down a duck? I mean, oh no, you know. I, I, and, and I, I always felt, you know, that that was it. And then, and then when I got busted the first time in life for uh, possession, and I was clean as a whistle. That's what you're saying. But all yeah. the other times yeah. I was guilty. <laughs> oh yeah, no! So, that's that's crazy. So I can't I can't I can't talk about being persecuted by the law. Sure. <laughs> And there's always like yeah, drama really. too, especially with cases. I mean, stuff that you were involved in, stuff that you weren't involved in with Charlie. It's like there's always like extra drama. Yeah. Like it was the one guy, the the uh, the Russian roulette guy, that Philip or something like that, Zero, whatever the nickname was. Yeah, that, Zero. Uh, yeah, the drama was like, well, the gun was fully loaded and there was no fingerprint. There's always like some kind of drama. You know, it seems like anything that well, Charlie was involved in. I mean, that's what the media says. I mean, who knows? Obviously. Yeah, you were there, but well, it, it was a it, it was a uh, it was a Sears and Roebuck high standard uh, twenty two automatic, mm. uh, and uh, I heard this pop. I was in the front room, wow. and I heard. I thought I saw those those kids were back there shooting fireworks. Sounded like a firecracker. Wow! So I went back there. I said I was going to say, "Hey, we got a lot of heat on us, so don't be doing this." And 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 a girl there named Patty. Matthew said, Zero just killed himself. Oh, no. And I went, whoa, man. And uh, I did. I did reach around. <laughs> it's stupid. And I, I just put my finger on the muzzle and just turned the gun around and looked at it. They found my fingerprints. I said, Davis, the fingerprints, well, that's just on the muzzle. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but they, it was pretty pretty clear. That, that mm-hmm. never came to anything. Yes. But, uh. I mean, how did that affect yeah, you? Was, Even emotionally, how did that affect you after that? I mean, that's pretty traumatic. Well, I was pretty, I was pretty numbed out all that time, you know, and so nothing really affected me very much. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, my, my, I think my my plan in life was if I didn't if I didn't do something directly, then I'd be okay, right? Mm-hmm. So I knew I didn't do anything, so I knew I'd be all right. Yeah, and. uh I, I was, I was pretty apathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, not even pretty apathetic. I was apathetic. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So 
It was was Charlie the type of guy. I mean, it's it, it seems like he was. No one said like jealous, but like of his like position. Like was that one guy on the ranch, that shorty, whatever his name was, Donald Shea. Like he was like trying to. I guess he wanted to get you guys off the ranch or something. Like he was snitching you guys out or ratting you guys out. And that was that was Charlie. No, I don't think so. Uh, okay. I don't think so. But 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 Charlie thought he was. Mm. I don't know. I don't really know what the issue between him and Charlie was. But Charlie said he's a he was a snitch, and so that's why we killed him. Yeah, that's what like, some uh, of the reports that you never but, know if it was just in Charlie's mind, you know, or not. But obviously, he liked to stay at the ranch. I mean, apparently, it's a beautiful, it's a nice little gig right there <laughs> for sure. Well, I don't think anybody ever thought Charlie was going to get the ranch. Yeah, I think that's again from from what I've read. The plan was to get the girls so. Or have the owner, you know, uh, spawn himself so enamored with the girls that when he died, he was going to sign it over to him. I think that was, from what the media yeah, says, well, the master plan. <laughs> so yeah, well, that's, that, that, makes a, that makes a hot story. Yeah, I can see it now. Yeah. <laughs> George Spawn was supposed to sign the ranch over to, 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 to Lynn Fromm because he was in love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> that'd be that'd be that'd be that'd be one for TMZ or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's the impression, but, uh, like you know, yeah. from uh, when you read some of the books and things. That seems to be at least from yeah. his mindset. I guess what he was hoping was going to happen, but the reality obviously is something a lot. <laughs> I don't. I doubt. Well, of course, I don't know everything that everybody was hoping for because usually that. But I never heard anything like that from Charlie. Yeah, because uh, he, he he never he never. Well, as far as I know, you ne- you never know. I'm sure. I mean, I, I couldn't say. Oh, I know that's not true. I, I'm not sure of that. There's so many but, myths. Uh, There's so many stories surrounding him. It's it's almost like mythological yeah, mythological you know. at this point. <laughs> Some people are probably sure, uh, upset sure. when the real truth comes out. Well, it's not as as exciting as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> you know, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> There was a place where Charlie made a commitment to some to something. Uh, he got the idea, and I'm not sure where, that the power he needed came from something beyond himself. Mm-hmm. And and he made a commitment to this thing or whatever he thought was going to give him the power he wanted. I don't know if he if he knew he was making a pact with the devil. Uh, I'm not sure of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, he he gave his loyalty to something. Yeah. And it had a big effect. Oh, for sure. So, very, very powerful, very spiritual. Yeah. Whether he knew it or not, it was a, a very spiritual uh, yeah, oh, road no. he was walking yeah, down. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Why do you think so many people to this day are still so fascinated by him? I mean, some even worship him oh. you know, to a degree, but what do you think the, the, the fascination is where I'm sure you still get questions and letters you know, asked about him too, but yeah, what, yeah. what do you think? Well, uh, to borrow a phrase from another writer who said, we are intrigued. We are intrigued by the things we are most disgusted about. Mm-hmm. We're intrigued by it. The, the most deplorable thing in our life. We're, 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 we're intrigued. Yeah. And I can see that. You, do, do you see why that might be true? Of course. Of course. For sure. And, and there's also yeah, so, yeah. I think it's saying is and there's also people who, um, 
they're like like on social media, their profile picture is of Charles Manson or another, you know, notable name yeah. like that. And it's like a fascination to the other side of it. Like, we love Charlie. Sure. We love Charlie. So it's still, it kind of goes both ways, you know, fascination and in both roads, oh, no. you know, it's. That's it, right. And you probably noticed too. There's hardly. I'm sorry. Go ahead. There's, there's hardly any middle ground. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. That, actually, that I can I can definitely see that for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you probably noticed. I mean, um, you probably still. I mean, still get letters from people. When, when you when you. Hey. Fir- mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I was going to say. I mean, I'm sure you still get letters from a lot of people. When you first, like when 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 it all went down, how soon after you kind of got to prison or jail for that matter too? Did you start getting letters from people? Was it obviously the, the true crime genre is pop, very popular now? Even back when you were first in prison, were you still getting like fan mail, so to speak, and people wanted to to talk to you and and uh, call you or meet you back in the day? You know that didn't happen until probably probably the middle eighties. Oh, it, okay. it didn't happen to me for a long time because my my name was not. Uh, was not sensationalized like everybody else. Yeah, I want to make sense. Yeah. And uh, so, but um, but hey, uh, check out Netflix. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what Netflix is doing. They are they are mining the dregs. They're trying to get all these crime stories because the public loves it. Mm-hmm. They they are. I read I read a thing on the, on the update for the son of Shamlaw, and this guy says Netflix is just, they're paying millions of dollars for stuff that, you know, it's just, it's just really, really horrendous about about criminals and their crimes. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a a big market for it. Oh, it's, the market has never been bigger, ever, especially Netflix and places like those where, like David Berkowitz. Well, I've known him for many years. We've did many Christian projects together and outreach projects together. Um, even when he heard about the documentary, how he was, you know, part of this big Satan cult that he had help. He's like, it's the silliest thing ever. <laughs> you know, they're making things up just to to sell sure. you know, sell the TV sure. and let the people watch. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just it's, yeah. it's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's always I'm sure there's always been a fascinate. There's a a, a, a a video last night I was watching about. The Manson family, where it was, it was the part where I guess he was first arrested. Where I, I guess I mean, you can maybe chill out on it. He had everybody shave their heads. I guess for the court. I, do you remember why he did that to everybody? I was always I never really understood why. Well, yeah, there's a there's a there's a philosophical principle that says you have ownership of what you name. <laughs> you name your children, don't you? Uh huh. They're yours. They're yours because you name them. Well, they're not yours because you name them. They're yours and you name them. Gotcha. But it's a sign of ownership. I gotcha. I say that makes sense. Definitely makes sense. And uh, uh, all, all these, all the generals gave their gave their lieutenants names. Not all of them all the time, but mm-hmm. all through history, they gave they gave the people that they wanted to really have the loyalty. They gave them a name. Mm. And uh, and it's uh, the gnome de guerre, and, uh, ever, and and people who are loyal love getting a new name from their leader. I mean, man, that makes me special. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely, I can oh, see that. That's one of the reasons. That's one. Yeah, talked about it a while ago for the book. I don't know if you're just going to do a little bits and pieces of it or throughout the whole thing, but you know how the Lord was with you. Looking back, how He was with you oh, your yeah. your entire life, and you yeah. give you know, a couple stories. You oh, know, yeah. falling out of the car. There's you know, a lot of things. that. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's going to be you're great. Right. Definitely yeah. looking forward to it. It starts out. I tell you what. Hey, the first one starts out when uh, I was one year old. I was born with a hernia, and uh, when I would cry, my insides would pooch out through that hernia Wow! in my stomach, right? And I would cry and bawl and yell. Well, my mom, we were, we were living in Mobile. I was I was about a year old, maybe a little younger, and um, and my we, we were staying with my great aunt, and and she came to my mom and said, Marguerite. I have a, I have a lady at church who wants to come and pray for Bruce. I told him I told her about what it was, and she said um, uh, uh, she'd come. So so here she is. She walks in, and she, and and my mom she's really against all that stuff. She don't like those those fanatic Christians, right? <laughs> and uh, but the lady prays for me, and uh, I get healed. Wow, it's amazing. So, but but I write there. I said miracles never save anybody. They're not there to save anybody. My mom is still hard to. Then the next thing, I fell out of a car. <laughs> yeah, uh, we were going around the curve in down in Mobile. I fell out of a car, took a roll, and landed sitting straight up on the curb <laughs> on a scratch. That's amazing. Yeah, it's going to be. I, I can't wait to hear all the all the stories. How yeah, looking back and. Seeing yeah, the, uh, uh, let's see. That. There was that. Then let's see that. Let's see. I was one, and then I was about, I was about five when this happened. Mm. And then the next time it happened was, uh, well, the Lord tried to save me a couple times, but I didn't listen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I know that for sure. When when, uh, when I got back from England, my aunt Pauline, hey, she's. She's a prophet, man. I'm telling you. And when she spoke, it always happened. And and I was getting ready to leave Mobile, come back to L.A. She said, "Don't go back there. It's going to be bad. I'm telling you, don't go." And she didn't know anything about my associations on the West Coast, but she knew. Mm-hmm. And then when I got off the when I got off the Delta flight at LAX, boy, this thing went off inside me. Don't go down there. This is trouble. And I knew it. I knew it was a warning. And I just disregarded yeah. it. Mm. And the same thing happened after the Hinman case. Mm-hmm. And the same thing after the Shea case. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff, I would get these warnings. And I just, I just blew them off. Well, here was, here was a place where the Lord intervened. The day before, well, the night before the tape, the tape murders, I'm on the, uh, I'm on the backside of the ranch. And uh, Susan Atkins comes back and she says, oh, we're going out tonight. Charlie wants you to come. And hey, Keith, before I even thought, it came out of me, no. Mm-hmm. I hadn't wow. even had a chance to hear, completely <laughs> hear her out. It didn't come from me, I'm wow. telling you. Wow. And it was so certain, she didn't even say, huh. I mean, that was it. She just raised her eyebrow and walked away. Boy, that was it. Wow. And the next night, before the, before the La Bianca, the same kind of thing happened again. Because I had never, I'd never say no to Charlie. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, because I wanted to be his favorite guy. Sure. But this time, I mean, it just came out of me like, 
I didn't even, I didn't even, it was just wasn't even me, you know, and, uh, wow. and I never heard, and he never said a word about it to me. There was never a word about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that was the Lord. And, uh, uh, oh, of course. Definitely had yeah. to be. Definitely yeah, had to man, be for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, and one time, oh, right after, right after I got a, after I got found suitable, the next time I went to to the board, the DA went out and got all these victims, the family members of the victims. They had never had an interest in coming to my uh, my hearings before. Well, they never had enough interest to come. I'll say that. But this time they showed up, and my lawyer was freaked out. Oh my goodness, they've got all these people, and, oh, and I kind of got freaked out too with him. Sure. And 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 it hit me. Well, we'll put a stop to this. So I was so I was sitting out there waiting on it all, and I started to feel a little panic, and and then I understood what that was, and and on purpose, I I really magnified the panic, and I drank some water and I threw up, and the officer said, "Are you okay?" And wow. I said, "No, I'm not." Mm. So they called a they called a code, and and took me down to the clinic. So I'm sitting in the clinic. The male nurse comes down and takes my blood pressure and says, oh, I'm good, and um, gives me a bottle of water. A few minutes later, he comes back and says, are you okay? And I hey, I was just getting ready to say, no, I'm not. And you can tell those people upstairs, I'll see them later. Hey, just as I was having that thought, it was as if this huge uh, uh, neon sign, I mean, it was huge. It just started flashing. Liar, liar, liar. Oh, boy, I knew I would. I said, I said, yeah, I'm going back. So I went wow. back. Mm-hmm. So I got about, I got about halfway back to the, to the boardroom, mm-hmm. and I'm walking along, and all of a sudden in my head I go, hell no. And I turned around and was going to go back <laughs> to the unit. Wow. Listen, something turned me around, and I, and, and I kept headed me toward the boardroom, and all of a sudden, I had, I mean, I had this big empathy for, 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 for these family members, and I knew that I needed to hear everything they had to say, and they needed to say it. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so I got up, I got up to, the, to the boardroom, and my lawyer said, what are you doing back here? I said, well, I'm going to the board. And he says, oh, they've got all this in there. I said, I'm going to the board. About this time, the DA walked in. He had a big file. He had about fifty pages. I'm going to bring this new evidence. I'm going. I'm going to fry his butt. Blah blah blah. Right. Yeah. And so my lawyer says, "Okay, we need to talk about this." So, so they left me in the lawyer's room, and those two went in and talked to the commissioner. It was going to hold a hearing. And uh, he said, uh, "Well, are you going? Are you going to present this evidence?" He says, yes, I am. He says, you're going to present it all? Yes, I am. Today, yeah. My lawyer said, well, we want, to, we want to postpone it because we have to have time to review the evidence. And, and the commissioner says, yeah, uh, we're postponed. We'll reset the date. So the, the, the point of the story was we were going to get a postponement no matter what because the DA had already set that up with this Trying to enter this new evidence. Oh uh, yeah. So the yeah. so the whole thing 
was a test for me. Wow. See, because uh, it, it was just independent because that was going to happen. But the whole thing was just to see if, if I'd finally do right. Yeah. <laughs> I struggled against it. I did. I yeah. wanted to lie and, mm-hmm. and turn around and do all that. And uh, the Lord, and, and here's the Lord saving me for his reputation. He said, I did it for my own sake. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I believe that. I'm, yeah. And, and, but, you know, hey, I went through the scriptures one time, and I got every, I, there's about 10 or 12 times, especially in the Old Testament, where the Lord says, I didn't do it for your sake, I did it for mine, to save my reputation. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of that in, 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 in the, anyway, yeah. anyway, so that was, that was a time. That's awesome. So there's been there's been some uh, some serious turning points, no doubt about it. Oh, sounds like it for sure. Yeah, that's a great part about reflecting back. You know, it's again like God getting glory. Yeah, all the way yeah. through. You know, well, could have been a lot yeah. worse. And all those all those things I've written in. Well, right in the introduction, I I I came after after the introduction said, you know. Um, I owe uh, I owe everybody a lot, especially the, the victims. And I can't. And the only thing I can do to talk about their infinite um, pain is to offer them an infinite solution. Be- become a forgiver, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I said forgiveness was ne- was never made was never meant for the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. It's meant for the victim. Yeah. Only God can forgive the perpetrator. And uh, anyway, mm-hmm. and, and I said, and God, he he wrote the whole story anyway. Yeah. And that's. Have you ever heard any? Have any? Could ever get any forgiveness letter, so to speak, from from quote unquote victims, or to say, hey, I understand, I'm sorry, I heard you turned your life around. Just wanted to let you know, you know, I forgive you personally. No. Maybe, maybe, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. Not even close. <laughs> Not even close. Uh, the ones I've the ones I've come in contact with, uh, man, they are just livid. And, and and what and you know and they should be. And I and I I don't blame them. If somebody had done that to me, I'd be mad as hell too. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, really, I don't I don't think they're out of line or anything. Yeah. But. Uh, the, it's the a lot of it. A lot of that is the so-called victims' rights groups, and they keep these people just livid uh, because they want them to come to our hearings, uh, and not only ours, but a lot of people. Yeah. And they keep them primed up on how how painful it was and how terrible it was, and they get they and so by the, so when they get to the hearings, they're they're really uh, they're really primed for it. Yeah. And so I, I can't be. And I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm disappointed, but I'm not mad at them because that's their, they, you know, they're doing what they're doing. I fired the first shot, so I can't, I can't really, I'm not a victim sure. in any way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, you know, I, yeah. just, I just look at it and say, man, I wish, I wish I hadn't done all that. Well, of course. <laughs> I wish I hadn't caused all this stuff. Yeah, for sure. But, but also it helps them, I guess, but, forgiveness on their end. You know they're they're holding all that in, all that anger and all that yeah. tension and anxiety from hey, all that, and it's got understandable yeah. at one point. But there is freedom in letting go. There's freedom in forgiveness because you're not. It's like you're hey. tied. You're tied to a rope to that person or a group of people, right. and forgiveness right. forgiveness right. cuts it. 
you know, it cuts that bound in the, the binding you are to them. Whether it's a spiritual That's thing right. or not a spiritual thing, it, it's still a, a releasing of it, you know? So it's, oh, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, for sure. Hey, because when, every time they think, like, for instance, every time they think of me in an unforgiving state, they feel the, they feel the pain, the trauma, and the anger. Oh, yeah. And when the anger comes, they get uh-huh. a shot of adrenaline. And when yeah. that adrenaline hits their body and they don't take it off physically... Then the the adrenaline is like, you know, aviation fuel in an old in an old flathead car. It'll really run great for a minute, but it'll mm. burn it up. It's true because with yeah. the adrenaline in your your mm. body is not built to absorb adrenaline. It's built to burn it off yeah. with your biggest muscles. Yeah, and when it doesn't, it it it's very toxic mm-hmm. to, to your to your immune system and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And uh, anyway, well, that's my theory, at least. Yeah. Well, how, how about yourself with forgiveness? I mean, when was it to a point where, if you have uh, forgiven Charlie, you know, did you come to that point really thinking about that, or technically he well, got he got in he got you into this mess? <laughs> what are your thoughts on him as far well, as that aspect uh, of it? I uh, I got me into this mess. Mm. He didn't get me into. Now he helped. Uh, he helped lubricate the tracks. Yeah. Made it a lot easier. <laughs> That's but true. but yeah. I, I made the choice. Oh, sure, hey, yeah. when I when I first saw, when I first saw Charlie and the girls and all that, in my heart I said, I'm getting a piece of this. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I will say, once I was there, then then you know, Charlie had a way of and I saw this happen with everybody there. He had a way of of letting you believe that he was the source for everything you hoped for. And he never really said it in words. Mm-hmm. It was in, in body language, talk to another person in your presence, just comments, just things. And it was a spiritual thing, uh, a satanically spiritual, but mm-hmm. it was spiritual. And, 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 and everybody I knew in, in the family at one point, they believed that Charlie was the source of everything they wanted. Wow. Right? Yeah. And uh, and that's that's why everybody was willing to do what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and, and 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 nobody actually thought of it. And if somebody would have told me that that's how I was feeling, I didn't see it, and I would have said, "Oh no, that's not how I feel." Yeah. Uh, I, because I've never thought of it. I'm just blind. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, my conversation with Bruce Davis. Powerful ending. You know, I was blind. You know, I was blind, but now I see, as they say. Uh, obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, Bruce and many of the men and women who have been on my podcast who have done some horrible things. Um, yeah, it's easy to look back and say, oh, I wish I haven't done it, of course. Um Bruce has a unique perspective. Now, I'm sure a lot of you um, aren't religious. Obviously, it was a very spiritual conversation. Um, but at least I think you can appreciate the fact that, you know, he has, you know, turned his life around, thinking of the positive things and looking back and, as he said, see, see the good Lord in his life and warning him this, warning him that. But even if someone is not a religious person, um, you could look at it as your conscious telling you, this is not the best idea. 
you probably do it every <laughs> do it anyway, just like I do half the dumb things I've done in my life. Your conscious knows better and tells you better, you know, our senses. Um but we do it anyway sometimes, but hopefully we listen more than we don't listen. Um now, you know, if you read my book, The Story of You, of you Masaki, uh we talk about a psychopathic mind and some brains aren't built like other brains. You know, if you have a, a, a brain that's not working correctly, a psychopathic brain or mind, um, you don't have the ability to, to rational, rationalize thoughts and things. If that amygdala is damaged, um, you, you don't have a stop button, you know, with no fear, no empathy. It's a little different story. Um, with Bruce, obviously, he can look back and he could discern right and wrong. Uh, he wasn't certainly that doesn't have a psychopathic mind. Um, but it's definitely unique insight. So I hope everybody enjoyed that. Um, and it's great because I talk to Bruce every couple of days. So we have some great conversations. Uh, most of it, obviously, is not for the podcast. We just did that once in a while. And I'm sure we'll have him on again. All right. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Much, much, much more to come. And until next time, see ya. <laughs>